had the pleasure of finally meeting one of my panelists. That panel went so it inspired a new show which is a Rollis Presenter. Oh that's amazing, I'm so proud. And the second of those panelists was Hello, I'm Becky Anderson from Black Armada Games. What are you up to Becky? Well right now I'm standing in the middle of the trade hall at Dragon Meat, which I sort of think of as my spiritual home because the role playing industry in the UK is so small but that means it's, it's like one big family and everybody knows each other so you kind of forget how many friends you have and then you come somewhere like Dragon Meat and every other person is stopping you and saying hello, hi, how are you and it's wonderful, it's lovely After you come for a couple of years and if you, you engage with people you just keep running into people you know from different places but they all are here under the same roof that's right it's just it's lovely it's lovely to see everybody it's an excuse to kind of meet up and it's less frenetic i think than uk games expo games expo is really really big and really vibrant but this has got a bit more of a kind of a chilled out social vibe to it i find and it's much more rpg focused we've got a few board games because i guess we have to (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a bigger, bigger RPG focus as well, which is nice for me because that's what I love most. So what's your latest project, which you were telling me, sadly, there's a blank space on the table (laughs) where it should be? Well, it's nobody's fault except my own, but my print deadline for Bite Marks, which is the Kickstarter that I kickstarted earlier this year. What? Sorry, I couldn't... Bite Marks, which is my game about werewolf pack dynamics based on the Powered by the Apocalypse system. And the print deadline for that was the 4th of December. And I was thinking, is it going to make Dragon Meat? Is it not? It's going to look tight. And then sadly it didn't. But that's okay. That's you should have right. a mock-up, like a piece of cardboard with just a print of the cover. I should have done, shouldn't I? <laughs> Glued to it uh, with a link. If I'd been really smart, I'd have printed off some little cards with the pre-order details on. But I was not that smart. So, But that's okay. Because it was, uh, it's slated to be delivered in February 2020. So if I can get it out in December 2019, I'll be really happy about that. You were asking me if I would have a curveball question. Uh, here's yeah. one for you. The first time I heard about Bite Marks was through She's a Super Geek. Oh, cool. Yeah. A very uh, lovely session. I recommend people to go check out this episode. But back then, it was not called Bite Marks. No. It was called... Bite Me, which personally I like as a title. Why is Bite Mark Bite Mark now? Oh, I liked Bite Me as well. It was a really lovely title, but there's about five or six other games out there with Bite Me on the title. Ah, okay. And I knew that when I kickstarted it, and we were all kind of jostling along fine in the industry, and then somebody emailed me and said, I've got a trademark on that. And I think what that person didn't know when they wrote to me is that I am a lawyer. And that I have been trained in intellectual property law. But then what that training told me was, do I want to fight a fruitless lawsuit or put that energy into making more role-playing games? Bite marks is uh, something I'm pretty happy with. So there you go. I was just curious. I was wondering I if you had angry fathers and mothers coming to you oh, and saying, no. this is so vulgar, bite me. I did have one lovely person during the Kickstarter campaign contact me and say, is this game suitable for children? And I had to sort of say very delicately, it's really lovely that you've asked me that question, but between the swearing, the ultra-violence and the sex moves in this game, I would say not. (laughs) (laughs) Is this something you would consider writing specifically for children? Because that's something we discussed in a panel a little while ago 
uh, the place of children within the mm. contemporary RPG community, especially in the UK, actually, because clubs meet in pubs and so on, it's not as prevalent as it might be in other countries. No, no, I don't think it is. I would think I would hesitate to say I'd write specifically for children. I think there's some great games out there marketed at children and written for children. And I have to give a shout out to Amazing Tales by Martin Lloyd, who's an old friend of mine. And he's written a game for children, which I've played with my kids and they love it. Josh has written a couple of games specifically for children. But I generally feel huge amounts of violence, swearing and sex aside, that actually... A lot of role-playing games are fine for children. We don't need to dumb them down. It's nice if there's less violence in them, but actually with the indie game market, we're moving towards a market where there's a greater variety in games. There's less of a focus on violence anyway. And so I suppose my feeling is, rather than kind of saying to children, you have to have this special child's game for you, I would rather say to my six-year-old, we'll make a couple of amendments, we'll kind of change the violence a bit, but you can cope with Dungeon World just makes me realize that right now that there's no labeling or information system for role-playing game for parents or anyone really to know that okay this video game is appropriate for children this one is not when you take something like Dungeons and Dragons even a known brand like that within it they have different products which might be appropriate for different audience I suppose so but I also try to I kind of think that when I was a child and I was reading novels I didn't pick up a novel with a age warning on it. That's true, yeah. And I probably read things which were considered to be, maybe some people would have considered things that I shouldn't have read or things that were too advanced for me. But actually, I think having access to those in that safe environment of a novel really helped expand my mind. It helped me try ideas out. And I think there's, you know, it's probably limits. I probably wouldn't have my six-year-old play a game with huge amounts of violence and sex in it. But then, you know, I don't want to kind of limit him too much in terms of exposure to books so I'm not sure I see role-playing games as too different from that as children it's it's almost an asset of a, any media really the ignorance of your parents because it allows you <laughs> oh, yeah. to start to venture you know slowly bit by bit in stuff which officially it might not be appropriate for you but you know you're growing up and I mean I watched Robocop as a kid <laughs> with my Ooh, maybe 10 years old little brother and looking back it's like maybe it was not appropriate but we did and we yeah. don't have any sequels I think there's a difference in terms of something like a film which you observe which sort of comes into you in a really emotional grabbing visceral way which you have to turn off or a book which you have to put effort into reading and which if it's becoming too uncomfortable you can turn it off you can just put it down and put it away and that's easy to switch off from and so I suppose that I would rather with my own kids I would rather teach them about how to play role-playing games in a way which is safe how to promote a safe culture from even as early as they are now six to help them navigate things that are uncomfortable for them so that they have a, a really clear sense of what's okay and a clear sense of their own boundaries. And they can react and express And they can those. react and express in a way that's really healthy for them rather than saying we're going to kind of grade everything, every bit of media you might come into contact with, we're going to grade it for your safety and say here, well, you're going to come into stuff that's not safe sometimes and here are the tools so you need to navigate that. Which is not to say I shouldn't think, I don't think you should have content warnings on things. I think content warnings should be on lots of different things and my games 
do have content warnings on them all over the place because it's about giving people a tool there to kind of navigate what's appropriate for them. And I don't think just putting an 18 certificate something necessarily tells people if it's appropriate for them. It doesn't give them a tool that's as helpful perhaps as it might be. I don't know, that's a, that's a real curveball question. Um, but the thing is, we're all playing game, the, the input from the game master, if there's one, and the players shapes the thing so much that you could almost take any game and making child-friendly almost. And on the opposite, you could take something very child-friendly and turn it into something which is not a rather appropriate interpretation of Tales of Equestria, yeah. for instance. Yes, yes, very much so. So, yeah, I would rather teach my kids good tools, good self-reflection techniques, good safety techniques so that they can then take out into the real world and apply to everything. But I also think that, you know... My six-year-old is a lovely kid. His reading is very good. His maths is very good. And so I don't want to say to him, well, here's a really simple system for you that's made super simple for you because you're a child. I had some interactions with parents recently, and I was thinking that it would be nice to have safety tools. <laughs> Even in this yeah. real-life interaction, that I would have loved a X card <laughs> on a couple of occasions. Coming back on your work, so bite marks in a few days will be on some tables. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. What's your next project? More bite marks or something else? Uh, what are you up to? So there's a game that Josh and I have been talking about writing for a very long time. It's our sort of fantasy heartbreaker, but it's not a fantasy game. It's I call it an urban mythic game, but Josh hates that title, so we'll probably have a big old row about it before... Contemporary or cult or...? No, more like Neverwhere, Rivers of London... So I call it Urban Mythic because it's not a game that has like vampires or werewolves or fairies in it. It's a game which takes the personification of cultural artifacts and turns them into mythical beings. So you might have the personification of the Eiffel Tower okay. or the Rivers of London and what personalities. So it's anthropomorphizing iconic cultural touchstones. So taking the idea of American gods but Very taking it so. further. Like, uh, it's almost an animist approach to things, things yeah. that camis. A road crossing could have a cami. Absolutely, absolutely. It's that sort of thing, and it's sort of, and it's all about teaching people how to root it in their locality. So giving them examples of what these things could be, and then giving them ideas for how they could create these things from their own cultural touchstones in a way which is both meaningful for them, but also is really works in terms of a story that you're trying to tell. So we've been designing that game for forever, and then I said to Josh at the end of this year, "This is the year." 2020 is the year that I, I am going to set aside time to make this game happen. It's fascinating because I, my, my work is an architect and urban designer. Oh, cool. And I went something which was in part about mental maps. Oh, wow. And I was, what is this book called? Oh, I need to find the name. But there's this famous theory person who wrote about urban design and reshaped things. And one of the things he came up with was a way to encourage people to do mental maps. So try to remember places and draw mentally a map of their neighborhood and area. And I was thinking that would be a very interesting exercise mm. to do in relation to role-playing games. And what you're describing, I mean, it's really cool. I'd like to hook you up with something called the Urban Design Group and see if we could have wow. a, a thing about that. Uh, that sounds awesome. That, that would be really nice. I want to say it was Kevin Lynch, the author. Well, you got a urban designer master planner very excited about your next Fantastic. project. Fantastic. <laughs> okay, one brilliant. last thing. So, what's your send off? Uh, so, I've been saying to people a lot at Dragon Meet today that what I'm going to do in 2020 
is that I'm going to write not a list of New Year's resolutions, but a list of games that I bought that I haven't run. I'm going to write a list of my top 10 games that I bought that I haven't run, and I am going to commit to run them in 2020. The good trick, if you want to play a game, you show up in conventions and you have other yeah. people run them for you. <laughs> I'm going to go later on Games on Demand and I'm hopeful maybe to play Lovecraft Esque or... Oh, brilliant. I hope you manage it. I hope some you manage games it. I haven't Thank you so much. It's Thank been a pleasure having you on that first panel. And again, it's a lot of things happen following that because it was such a lovely time having you, Lynn and Kat on this. And uh, yeah, I hope we'll have more of these panels which we'll so we'll talk about off the microphone. Brilliant, I look forward to it.
Number three, today I spoke to Kat Tobin, Becky Anderson, and you are I got a complete set now. <laughs> the uh, tabletop RPG between the channel and the pond set of amazing RPG professionals. Could you introduce yourself? My name is Lynn Hardy, and I am the associate editor for Call of Cthulhu. What are you doing? I'm trying not to be a patient zero at the moment because I'm Ooh. full of cold. So I am resisting my natural tendency to hug everybody I see so that, you know, we don't spread the plague across Britain and the continent. <laughs> it's nice. It's, it's documented now on the show. I got the exclusive. That's uh, the confluenza of Dragon Meat 2019. <laughs> and the zombie apocalypse, yes. in by a doctor. <laughs> A oh, proper doctor, not a medic, as you remember, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, what's going on with Chaosium at the moment? Oh, so much wonderful stuff. As anyone who was around at two o'clock in our panel will have known, we've just announced that we have the Rivers of London role-playing game licence. Oh, so that was you. We got, that heard was us, rumors yes. about it. And people, oh, what, what yes. is it? What is going on? We know something is happening. This guy actually was asking about that. <laughs> Chaosium is doing Rivers of London. Hello. That, that's Carlos. Never mind. Okay. Rivers of London. That's massive. Yes. Is it very popular in Japan? <laughs> I don't know, actually. We'd have to ask Ben about that. I know it's been translated into 14 different languages and sold over 2 million copies. It's very so, big. So, you know, yeah. it's, it is big. Yeah. And it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. And thankfully, as it turns out... Ben is a big Chaosium fan and Cthulhu fan, so really? it's, wow. it's just hopefully going to be the perfect marriage. Maybe it was a campaign already before it was a novel, and we didn't know. So he did say the other day when we were chatting to him that when he was first developing the outlines for the books, that he was thinking of them in terms of sort of like Cthulhu campaigns, BRP campaigns, and plotting them out that way. So, wow. you know, it's just one of those weird synchronicities that happens quite a lot in gaming that you, you don't know is going to but it just sort of everything just kind of lines up the stars are right I do believe <laughs> there's a Call of Cthulhu movie coming also I think oh Colour um, Out of Space yes yeah. that's due out on general release I think February next year might be slightly later I know it's been seen at a lot of film festivals I think it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival I know it was at the London Film Festival But that, like I say, general release in a couple of months' time, it's supposed to be a good bit of Cthuloid fun. You don't have a supplement in the works with the stats for Nicolas Cage? Uh, in the <laughs> <laughs> Could one stat Nicolas Cage? <laughs> so, uh, Rivers of London, will it use uh, the basic role-playing system? Or? It's going to be based on the basic role-playing system, but obviously there are very distinctive elements for Rivers of London that we need to be able to make sure that we can invoke the atmosphere for and give the framework to allow you to play. So Paul Fricker, who co-wrote 7th edition Call of Cthulhu, is going to be working with Ben. In fact, they're sitting right behind us now having a conversation about this. Okay. Uh, so they're going to be working together to develop the bespoke set of rules to really help support storytelling in the style of Rivers of London, but also several different styles because obviously there's different things going on in the Rivers of London books. You've got your police procedurals. You've got the rivers. You've got the fae and the demimon. So you've got all sorts of different things. And we want people to be able to pick the bits that they enjoy and play in that style and swap styles if they really want to so that's going to be a big challenge it's cool it's going to be interesting to see how fans of the novels will find their way into the role-playing world well, we uh, hope so that. that's a point right yeah well we're always <laughs> looking to grow our base we're bringing new players because you know with the best will in the world some of us are getting a bit old and crusty now 
we need fresh blood, we need the next generation, we need different people to come in because it makes it more interesting. I've heard something, maybe it's late in the day uh, and I'm mixing <laughs> things up, but I've heard the name of Charlemagne, Charlemagne, oh, Charlemagne. Be, being mentioned. Was that a calcium project? No, Maybe I don't not. think so. <laughs> okay. But then it is late in the day and it's been a long day. <laughs> Pendragon related thing? Or? Oh, quite probably, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I have so much Cthuloid stuff going on. I'm kind of vaguely aware of what's going on on the other lines. All wonderful stuff, I hasten to add. But it kind of like, it's very fleeting, sort of like, oh, cool. And then I instantly forget it because, you know, the great old ones are leeching my brain cells away constantly. Okay. What's your big project at the moment? I mean, you're not running Rivers of London, are you? Or... Oh, no, no, no. Literally, the contract for that was finally signed and sealed last week, literally a few days ago. So we are in the very, very early stages of that. So that's all just now being set into motion. At the moment, I'm finishing up a couple of scenario projects for Call of Cthulhu. Then we've got, obviously, Mike is working on the Bestiary, the Malleus Monstrorum updated version, which is a very useful, very popular book. We've got several big campaigns that are in the works. There's various other things that I could tell you, but I would have to kill you afterwards. And I'd rather not do that, no, obviously. No. <laughs> One last thing to plug or to say to the people of Dragon Meat this year. Well, I hope you've all had a wonderful day. And if you haven't been by the Chaosium booth, please do go by and see if we've got anything left. If you're sick or so, send a GP's note to... Uh, <laughs> I claim no responsibility. The ladies are restless, they banish in the spear and Jacksons. The primitive chants are thinly disguised as national anthems. These are getting slightly less than British in the towns. Soon it will be time to stop the rot. We've got to put our foot down. Drums over London. Drums over London. Drums over London. Drums over London. Drums Who do they think they are? They're taking us over. 
Dragon Meat is over, and uh, as a closer, I thought it would be interesting to catch up with the London RPG community, because as far as I understand, it was the first Dragon Meat for a lot of members here, wasn't it? Was it your first, Handy? This has been my third, actually, but I imagine it's definitely been the first for a number of people. I think someone in the room, it was their first Dragon Meat. Yep, my first Dragon Meat. I didn't used to live in London before. Who so... are you? Because you just landed oh. on the show. Oh, like... sorry. Hi, my name is Paulina. I am a member for the London RPG community, joining them for games twice a week and going to all of the events possible. Also, I do Critical Role Translate. I am a supervisor for the Russian team, one of the three that we currently have. And a hype woman for all things that I find interesting, like the Rollist podcast. Thank you. It's the running gag that um, I cannot wait to see that. <laughs> that review that I keep promising. I mean, in this episode, you have me, so I will leave it a review. It will be released immediately. You already said that for the second panel. Yes, that is true. Health. I actually listened to it, though, even though I've actually attended it. I, Wait, you I, were in there, actually. I, yeah. yeah, I was in it as well. Anyway, this was your first Dragon Meat. What's your verdict, Hype Woman? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. It seemed... There were a lot of things happening, which I found a bit overwhelming to begin with, but kind of once I got my bearings, it was all good. And it seemed like a very nice, chill, friendly atmosphere where people just gathered here as a big, big group to meet and talk about what they like and share the excitement which I absolutely loved, and it was much more... Everyone was much more welcoming and much more... much easier to talk to than I expected, so I was a big fan. Great. What about you, the Andy? The games are also great. Well, speaking of games, Andy, I think you spend most of your day locked in a room with uh, players. Yes, I had to lock it, otherwise they'd leave. But yes, I've been running two games in a row now, which I thought was impressive, and then I met the RP Haven people who ran three, who are running three games today, which is insanity. I can't comprehend that. That's tough stuff. But yes, I ran a game set in Arcantis Expanse, which you can hear much more of in uh, recent episodes of the Rollies podcast. I hope you ended up a lot of those flyers I gave you. I did my very best. I need the leftovers, by the way. Oh, absolutely. I'll go get them. <laughs> well, they've got another game tonight. Uh, oh, they're great. still running more great. to get, give more of these flyers away. Wow. Who knows? Maybe there'll be none left. Well, it would be impressive. Yeah. Then I just ran a game of the Crystal Heart. What? How was it? How was it? Not Dungeons and Dragons. I stepped away from Dungeons and Dragons. <gasps> they weren't watching. Um, <laughs> but now I'm telling the world. <laughs> And Crystal Heart was phenomenal. It's a very good game. I run it once before, and I'm I'm not familiar with Savage Worlds at all as a base setting. For listeners at home, Crystal World is based in the Savage World setting. Isn't that the opposite? I thought Savage World was just a system. Without, system, without system, really not a setting. S- sorry, Crystal oh, Heart yeah, is oh, yeah, the I setting. You're quite right. Crystal Heart is the setting in the Savage World system. Andy, did you happen to use the sheet that up to four players who produced the Crystal Heart produce, where they explain everything on one sheet of paper, in a simple, easy-to-understand way about the system? In a comics format. The comics format? Yes, I did, because I went by their stall. Aaron and Aviva were very kind to let me have just a set of them that I laid out on the table for everyone, so everyone had a quick guide. Fortunately, I even had a player at the table who'd run Savage Worlds before, had also got the book. So that was very useful. It didn't rule lawyer you... Uh... Oh, no. Allowed me to be caught a couple times when I was just like, ah, um, something, something, plus two to your roll, right? Right? 
and <laughs> it was close enough. But yeah, there were no real problems, but it was a very fun game. I was given a one-shot to run that hadn't been published yet, which Ooh. was a great time to test it out with a cooking competition, cooking gumbo competitively with dangerous ingredients, crocodiles, ninjas, everything you'd ever expect in a cooking competition. It was phenomenal. I assume these games were the highlight of your day. Or was there something else you did or people you met who were like, wow? I mean, it's been most of my day. <laughs> yeah. There hasn't been much else to my day. Getting to join in the uh, London Tabletop Industry Networking event just now. Good stuff as well. Otherwise, yeah, these games have been phenomenal. I've got to meet some great people, some great players, and have generally a wonderful time. Just having adventures. What I do. So what about you, Paulina? What was the highlight of your day? I also played in two games today, morning and afternoon. In the afternoon, I was actually with the RP Haven, who were running three games in a row. And the decisions and the result of the morning games and the afternoon one affected the evening one that is oh, currently really? happening. Who was running that? Um, Do you know the name of the game master? Chris. I don't know the surname. He was running Mutants and Masterminds. And oh my goodness, I absolutely loved it. It is the most ridiculous... Not poppy, but it's just extremely bright and it gives you the same feeling as a comic book would where things that are impossible happen. And it was just great fun. And we managed to stop the evil people from getting the MacGuffin, which was perfect. Also, my Atlantean princess got thrown by a super strong member of the team and ended up off the table. Since we had a map and we measured how far she would be, she was two tables away. Because that is how strong the person was. We had to do some physics and calculating. Was it you who told me you played another superhero game today? Or was um, it somebody no, else? That, no, that was not me. I wish I played several. Uh, the other one was a... Is this a plane? Which is a... Well, that's a superhero game. Is it? We played it in a Zootopia setting. <laughs> so it wasn't oh. a superhero game. It was a comic book game, though, because the mechanic is... Instead of rolling dice, you draw what you want to do and then you build a comic book together with the other players. And the narrator has to interpret what you drew, which is impossible to draw anything well in two minutes when you can't draw. I've never heard of this game and I'm intrigued as someone who cannot draw at all. Oh, amazing. If you listen to the episode of <laughs> recorded at UK Games Expo of the release podcast, actually I had an interview with the game creator who is also the author of I Love the Core and he's got more games coming a very lovely chap I Love the Core was actually one of the very first role playing games I ever played years ago in Brazil? no this was in Aberystwyth my very first game at university in Aber I Love the Core I had a great time how long ago was that? nine or ten years ago I didn't realize it was that old I think it was like before it wasn't published okay, was okay. The guy, did the guy go to Aberystwyth? Maybe. Or, I don't know. I'm sure it was I Love the Core. Like, I don't know. Don't know. I, I was supposed to interview him today like many people. I apologize for all the people I didn't interview. But uh, yeah, I was trying. Yeah, a bit of a book. And uh, we've got Jonathan joining uh, all dressed up to run his game. What was this game? Uh, so this I know, Avatar. <laughs> no, no, this is based on another Jim Cameron movie. I ran Alien this morning. So I got all decked up. I have a Wayland yutani t-shirt and a Nostromo cap. And an effect 
podcast. Uh, yes, an Affect podcast pin, a London RPG community pin. I have a Rollist pin somewhere, <laughs> just not on me at the moment. The game went really well. I've done the scenario uh, a few times in preparation, but today it went, it went really well, and now I feel like I can put it down. <laughs> <laughs> You're done with this one. <laughs> for a little while, I think. You ran that game for us on Tuesday. You were saying each time it was very different. What Was this time it again different? Yeah, it was. So the scenario is, is very much the premise that I ran was you are colonists of Hadley's Hope, which is the setting of the second movie. You kind of turn up partway between when things start to go wrong on the colony and before the Marines turn up, and you've got to escape, survive. And every time I've run it, the four or five times I've run it, each player set has done something completely differently. They've approached it in a very different way, which has been exciting for me as the GM because it's fresh for me every time, and I'm not running the same thing over and over again. There is an unpredictable element to it because it, it's a map, so players approach it completely differently um yeah so was that the highlight of your day at dragon meat was it your first time at dragon meat or this is my second time at dragon meat my first time running a game so that was quite good fun i think yeah it's definitely been the highlight besides i should say getting my alien book signed by the guys that wrote the scenario who were at the free league stand today matthew and uh, dave and dave from the effect podcast yeah one last thing to add or say uh, about Dragon Meat as, as we just closing off, going back to the shadow until next year. It's been a joy to have, like, we actually got to have, like, a corner of Dragon Meat, which was the London RPG community. We had a banner up. We had a set of tables. It's just been us all day. That's been really cool to kind of just kind of step out, not just attend Dragon Meat, but be like, hey, everyone, here we are. That's been a really fun experience, quite frankly. And these pins are amazing you can't see them listeners but you should by getting one you are of course talking about the rollist pins you can get by writing a review absolutely <laughs> as a player i absolutely love the opportunity to try out games that i never would have even heard of otherwise or heard of but didn't find a person to play with and this was a great opportunity to just get that experience of a new system and also buy all of the things my heart desires that spark joy all of them did you get nibiru in the end i didn't get nibiru but i will get nibiru at some point i didn't get nibiru because i'm hoping that jonathan right here will run nibiru and somebody told me that jonathan has nibiru because i really really love the look of it tell us about nibiru jonathan and your highlight of the day and your, your send-off uh yeah so this is this is uh up the list but maybe not the top as i was saying nibiru i picked it up today from the stand I know it was um, kind of announced and released on Kickstarter about a year ago today, actually. But we actually had the opportunity to have Federico come and he ran a session for us at London RPG Community. Andy and I um, sat in and, and it was a lot of good fun. And looking at the artwork that he'd been producing for the book, it's something that I've been looking forward to a lot because I knew that it was going to be out today. So that's one of the things I went for. Nibiru, of which you can listen to several interviews with Federico, including one recorded on the very first year he had a booth here at Dragon Meet for Nibiru. So I went today to congratulate him because it's been a journey which me and other people in the London RPG 
community. By the way, your name is so annoying as a club because often I say London RPG community. I don't mean you. I mean everyone. <laughs> What's branding? <laughs> oh, yes. We chose that on purpose. <laughs> so, yeah, he did this amazing journey and delivered Kickstarter on time. I think a lot of people at Dragon Meat were, were happy uh, f- for him. And, uh, and it was his last Dragon Meat, actually. He was going to Japan. And apparently, I've heard a rumor in the halls. Apparently, this might have been the last Dragon Meat here because we might be moving to an even bigger venue next year. Bigger could be better. What would you put in a bigger venue? Let's say you have a bit more space. You could put something in there. What would you put in there, the three of you? Definitely an RPG-themed assault course that involves bouncing castles. I think also an RPG cooking corner with, like, cupcakes shaped like D&D things and things like that. I saw some edible dice. Didn't get them. But they were jelly dice, and I want them at some point. And I want more of that. I'm pretty sure, given a year, I could create a a, uh, D&D escape room where you have someone narrating what's going on and if you succeed, different things might get unlocked. You have actual puzzles to solve. Finally, locking the players will be purposeful. I was thinking more tables for London RPG community <laughs> to run I mean, games. But... Yeah, we'll, we'll take that. Absolutely. But, you know, blue sky moments. Blue sky moments. Yeah, like... they, they might be uh, following the, the kick-ass work by Mira. Maybe there will be live actual play game going on in seminar room in front of an audience. That would be amazing. I'd just take, you know, bins in the room. That was a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Details. Love the idea with the live action role-playing games because I saw a lot of the podcast rooms where you can't enter to see. Do not enter constantly. And I really wanted to know what's happening inside because I really wanted to listen to things beforehand, before they come out. And I also, because of gaming, had to miss several panels I was excited about. And now I'm looking forward to more Rawlist podcast episodes. Actually, I received a newsletter from my own show. And <laughs> the newsletter started with something I did not quite catch. Someone volunteered to help me to edit things. And I think I'm going to take on that person on his offer and ask him to edit the Dragon Meat episode this year. Or at least help me clean it up. What have I got myself into? <laughs> Well, thank you so much, and uh, yeah, see you next year, everyone. Come to Dragon Meat 2020. Thank you.
So we're almost done with Dragon Meat. We joined the Tabletop Industry Network London. I forgot the order of I all the words. I think it's a London Tabletop Industry London Tabletop Industry Networking event because it's London Tin. I it's think Tin, yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Tin. Jane Hermiston working really hard yeah, to get people together. That's I, great. I should attend yeah. more of these, but yeah, you know, between running them. And I'm joined today by... My name is Matt Bear-Jones, or Ursidice, if you're looking at me on Twitter or various games. Yeah. So yeah, I got confused because there's a role player, a rollist from France, and his blog is called Elucubration Ursidé. And I thought you were the same person. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. So what's, what's Elucubration? What's, what's, what's that when, uh, we, when we break that down and translate that? wow. It's like crazy gibberish like okay. ideas you go but they're, they're kind it's of out crazy of gibberish from a bear sort of thing yeah yeah, like, yeah yeah so and yeah so when we started interacting on twitter and then you said you were from highland and you were coming to dragon meet i was like oh that's cool so i'm going to speak to this french tabletop rpg oh, designer I, I, who I, I, lives I, in ireland is coming to dragon meet those aren't facts no i don't live in ireland no i live in reading so Where maybe the island and France, but maybe I think you're still confusing us. I'm confusing us. Yeah. Okay. So maybe he is then. Maybe, maybe he, yeah. Him. Maybe he's here somewhere. Like, <laughs> if you've seen that logo though, that Ursadice logo with the bear and the D20, yeah, that's me. Yeah. But if, so that's but if you. Yeah. Can we? And we've spoken on Twitter before. Yeah. It's not been. It's not like. It's not like this is. Mate, you're, you're having this, like, amazing sliding doors style sort of parallel <laughs> conversations or something like that. Like, yeah, there's, there's an experience you're having here, which, which is intrinsic to you. And I think we should, maybe, maybe we should unpackage that today. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's what this is, this could be about. Well, maybe it could inspire you a game, like the game you just showed me, which yeah. is called, it's got a very simple. Name. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's real simple. It's clumsy, heroic, adorable, anti-capitalist penguins versus business gooses ivory tower. Great. What is that about? You are penguins. You are clumsy, heroic, and adorable. You are also 100% anti-capitalist. And today is the day you take down the ivory tower of business goose. So like all of my games, it starts with a pun. I learned from my friend who speaks, uh, his wife is Chinese, so he's learning Chinese. He found out that the word for penguin is made up of the characters business and goose. So business goose is a penguin. Okay. And he showed me this amazing little graphic. I think I tweeted about it a little while ago, which is just a little cartoon. It's just got the word for business, the word for goose, uh, the characters in Chinese, and then this lovely business goose. And I went, that, oh. that's the start of an anti-capitalist game right here. And that's it cool. just, yeah, just spiraled out of control from there until I ended up with this nonsense. So it's, yeah, silly little game about having a set of dice, which are how clumsy you are. And then you're just rolling against that. So your own clumsiness is your DC in every single check. It's funny because I guess we say that in English also, but in French, penguins are associated with tuxedos. Oh, yeah. They, they, nice. they picture the like, dress in tuxedos. So from tuxedo going to a suit, picturing a penguin like a goose in a suit. I think, yeah, you look at penguin, you know, that's a tiny dude in a suit. You're not sitting there and going, yeah, that, that you're not, so, you know, no one looks at the word, here's business goose means penguin and goes, that's nonsense. I can't understand where that's coming from. So yeah, <laughs> it's really nice to see that translation sort of transcend that language in a way your work is mostly one page rpgs yeah so well technically it's one page rpgs i started use the phrase mini rpgs because they've been spilling beyond one pages recently mm -hmm. so i've ended up november's with three pages i felt disgusted with myself i'm really sorry about that <laughs> i dialed it back for one page for december so i at the start of the year i set myself a challenge to release a game every month wow and I went, okay i'll use these little micro concepts so i'll do one page games like that then they became bigger and bigger and some of them flowed into two some of them i had to pull back to one things like that but i am working on bigger concepts there are things that's just like coming 
I am one person doing this on my own. It's quite an isolating business, writing games on your own and with no one to bounce ideas off. So I use these as little mechanical tests or ways to just let out some creativity occasionally. I've got a game project and the way I see it is I'm sort of doing the opposite of one-page RPG, which is to be concise. The rules are almost ready, but I want to build it up a bit like the extraordinary adventure of Baron Munchausen. Yes. You've got the rules, but when you look at the book of Munchausen, the rules could fit on probably one page, but it's expanded as a sort of comedy reading, Absolutely. which is barely related to the rules themselves. So it's kind of a counter-inspiration. Hmm. And where was I going with that? It's very late. It's quite late today. in the day. It's, it's one of those things where, so I've been running, I've run six hours of games today. The first game I ran was at 10 and it was like warm up. You feel people getting into the day. I ran a game at one and everyone was into it. I was stood up and I was, you know, going crazy for the entire two hours. Came again, ran a game at four. The feeling through all those games just changes. And like, even if you're trying to keep your energy up, the energy in the room drops. And by this time of, you know, it's half eight, you know, it's a long day for everyone. You've been interviewing it's people. It's only all day. half eight. It feels like 10. Uh, oh, it's in the darkness, evening. darkness outside, right? Yeah. It makes it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah, I remember what I was thinking. It's just you were mentioning, oh, uh, you spilled over from one page to three yeah, yeah. pages. And uh, it reminds me at work, people telling me about reports that they didn't need something as long as they needed something shorter. Right. And there's this quote I find very accurate. Apologies for the long letter, but I didn't have the time to write you a short one. <laughs> I think it's something people don't realize that yeah. sometimes doing something very Condense like this, you know, the image of you got the piece of coal and then you compress it and you got Absolutely. this pure diamond. Doing a one page RPG could actually be more work than doing a three pages RPG. It genuinely is. It is so hard to distill it down, especially every month because, oh, do you renew yourself? And you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 you know, I try not to reuse concepts. So, the I think a couple of times in the first six months I used a little idea which I was playing with going ah oh, this is a nice way of approaching that but abandon that later but yeah it's something where trying to find a new concept a new mechanic every time is very strange and distilling something down is so hard to get what you want to be a perfect mesh of mechanic and theme together and make that onto one page is so difficult and what's really interesting about one pages and I think if you, if you look at any of them you'll notice this that People really, on the one-page game, they want one or two mechanics. That's all they want. And then beyond that, they want things that they can use to easily and quickly create characters and scenarios. I mean, Honey Heist is the one people pull up as a really big example. Laces and Feelings being the big original one. But roll to find out what kind of bear you are. Roll to find out what your hat is. Roll to find out your special skill is. Those people have their character then by the end of that. Then the GM goes, okay, I'm rolling twice. I know what my setup is. And then you just play from there and yes and and have fun. The more you add in to those mechanics side, and less you give people as players, the harder it is for people to go, oh, I can see this one-page concept being something I'll engage with. They just go, oh, that's a load of rules. I don't want to get near it. They just want, they just want, they want to be helped to make a character and know what dice they're rolling once and then just go and yes-and it. And that's the real hard part with it. Yeah, you want the perfect prompt machine, but it's so weird that on one hand you need something which doesn't quite cover everything, but kind of does because you you don't want this gaping hole of and this happened at no clue of how yeah. to bring it back into the system Absolutely, of, of yeah. using it. Is there one of your games you are especially proud of? Because we're twenty nineteen is almost over. Yeah, I know that's real tough. I think the one which surprised me the most and has impacted on people the most is a game called. This is a sad place where ghosts live. 
the title is yeah. already very evocative. It's funny, one-page RPGs, and that's almost what Grant and Chris are doing on Hurty Dice Friend. Yes. They encourage people to send them just titles. Yeah. The title itself needs to be evocative. Absolutely, yeah. And it was it's just a stupid game about being happy ghosts trying to make people happy as opposed to trying to scare people out of a place. As I was designing it, I went, oh, maybe I, it feels like this is just becoming more and more like an allegory for trying to approach a friend with depression. And then it's just, it just seems to have really touched people. So like, I had someone message me today saying, thank you so much for making this game. It was a really great way for us to process grief. Wow. And you know, this is just a system of me going, well, wouldn't it be funny if ghosts struggled to interact with the real world at this stage or, or had to try and interact with this way and there were consequences when they did? And it's been picked up by a group called Queer Dungeoneers or in Australia who run a podcast. And I, I like heard them playing this game and they got in touch and they've been, they did this amazing two player game of it where it was all about ghosts at the same, like interacting with people at the same time as the vote on gay rights and gay marriage was happening in Australia. And it was just this, it just grew beyond anything I could have ever imagined it becoming. It was just like, yeah, I, it was, well, it's, no, it's, yeah, I mean, it's like, humbling it's, just to have people yeah. do that. I can imagine. I mean, whatever we do, we're both creators. I'm creator of a yeah. podcast, you're creator of games. Sometimes when somehow you touch someone to the point where they reply back to you and they let you know about a, yeah. whatever modest impact you had on their life, it's it's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. That just blew my mind. So that, yeah, that, that's really my... And that, unfortunately, that was like March. So <laughs> <laughs> Where do I go from yeah. there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, but I, I, you know, I feel like I've come into my own far more and more as I've been creating design and games this year it's really helped me to go what do i like about the way i write what don't i like about the way i write what do i think makes a good mechanic what do i find fun and far more in a way than i used to think when i was playing when i first started role playing i was playing dungeons and dragons loads of people come into dungeons and dragons like that i think fourth edition was where i really started which is a really odd edition to join dnd i'm a defender of fourth edition it was warhammer plus it did really well what it did which was yeah. you want to have like you know D&D pretends it's not a combat-based system now. But that's the thing I love about 4th edition now, and I've been all over the place in terms of my opinions yeah. uh, regarding that. When I started role-playing games, it was in this... Uh, sorry for repeating myself again and again on that <laughs> show, but it was a time and a place when D&D 3rd edition was not out yet, yeah. and D&D 2nd edition was quite old and uh, owned by a business which was struggling, if not literally closed at the time. Yeah, yeah. Because well, Wizard bought them out or recovered them, but takes time to do anything. Yeah. D&D was the fifth or sixth most played game behind yeah. Vampire the Masquerade and a number of other games. So mm. it was in the background. Then D&D 3rd edition came, 3.5. It wasn't my thing. It was a bit too legalese, I thought. Yeah. And I, I was coming in and trying to do stuff, I guess, because of the other game I played, which were more akin to 5th edition in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And then I played 4th edition and I got it. Mm. I was like, okay, actually, I like that. Yeah. I like the combination of a board game, the campaign science stuff developing, but when the battle starts, it starts being tactical, and I found my fun there. Yeah. And 5th edition is very good, but personally, it, feels, I, yeah. I, it doesn't feel as truth to what D&D actually is. I yeah, think 4th yeah. edition is honest about what it is. Mm -hmm. And now my opinion on 5th edition is that it's a good game, but I see that most people who play it don't do with 5th edition with D&D what I think D&D is the best at. Yeah. They play other games using D&D rather than opt for something which would be more appropriate. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was I was chatting about this just earlier 
they do stuff yeah. in spite of the indie audience. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> my friend Mike uh, was, so he just wandered in with a beer. Very, very kind of him. Yeah, he he said earlier, oh, the, people see D and D and they go, it's really brilliant because it's got universal mechanics. What feels like universal mechanics? So you go, I want to do this. Okay, that's role persuasion. So it feels universal, and people go, "Oh, I'm going to make the mistake of going. I can turn this to do whatever I want." So he said, "Oh, you could. I'm going to run an EastEnders RPG in D and D." It's like, well, actually, just because you can sit there and go roll this skill doesn't mean that you've made a role playing game out of it. Making social mechanics and making, say, mechanics which have risk reward around interacting with people, or the way you interact, or having any mechanic which suddenly makes you go. I'm feeling this game now. I'm not just immersed because all I had to do was roll one dice. I'm immersed because I know that putting out myself to make this move is going to have an impact, negative or positive, on my character and other people instantly is what really makes a role-playing game. And D&D doesn't do that. Yeah, and it's funny because it's not even... I've grown away of games which had somewhat generic system. And the resolution system and they, they, they sort of, because they're trying to do everything, they got the list of skills. And I think they, they got their merits, yeah. but it's kind of, for lack of a better word, bland. Yeah. It doesn't push you too much into a direction of another. You just make an engineering skill versus an astrology skill mm. or a hit that person in the face skill. But the end is still very skewed in the way it rewards you. Yes. I mean, on one hand, I like, I like role-playing when I play D&D &D, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't like a session with only fight but if I walk away from a couple of sessions without a nice encounter yeah. I still feel like mm, you know why is it worth because I'm leveling up and the, the stuff I get it's not extra skills it's not like I run Star Wars D6 which is mm -hmm. more in this sort of blendish yeah, yeah. thing I can spend my development points the way my character evolves in yeah, any yeah. skill so I can decide wherever direction it goes when I play a fighter in D&D, when I level up, I get a feat or a thing or a thing, yeah. which is useful in a combat encounter. It's very mm -hmm. rare that it's useful into a social encounter. Yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> Converting a war game into a role-playing game. But that's, yeah, you know, yeah so. which is the history of things. And personally, I like the wargaming aspect. To be honest, I, I miss 4th edition. I miss yeah. the... That's my problem now with 5th edition is that I join games and I'm like, okay, we're doing this. But what I'd like to do is the encounter or the dungeon crawling. Mm. But we're not actually really doing that because we sort of convinced each other that fifth edition was doing something else. Absolutely. And yeah. it's not, it's not really the case. I haven't practiced a lot dungeon world, but often I, I feel like. Yeah, it's, it's something else. Another yeah. system would I think, be more you know, any PBTA system at that point. When you just gravitate from there, feels. I'm still on the first on PBTA, to yeah. be honest, because yeah, yeah. that's something I'm still adopting. Yeah, but uh, I'm, I'm finding interesting. You should speak to Matt from Merely Role Players. So they're really fun podcast too. Just theater people doing role playing games, but he will hack PBTA to do whatever game he wants to do at the time. So I think they've done like a Famous Five adventure. They've just done sort of the Tempest style Ooh, nice. uh, thing, but on like Stranded on Desert Island. Really interesting podcast if you want to go and look out for him. Yeah, I'll check it out. But the reason I, I'm on the fence with PBTA stuff is that I'm finding there's a strand of role-playing games and it's not a judgment of their quality. It's just a judgment of taste. And that's what amazing today with role-playing games. You got so many different games that they cater to very different tastes. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like what I personally enjoy with role-playing games is being a character going yeah. through situations mm -hmm. and system 
deal with that in different ways. Yeah. Why PBTA games, a lot of them, and it depends of the games. Like I just play Masks, a new generation, which is so far, by far my favorite um, PBTA game. But I find it's more a writer's room game. Yeah. It's I more a coming that, together yeah. of an history. And I get that fun. I understand mm. it, but it's not my fun. So yeah. that's why I'm still, still not sure. Yeah, I get that. With that. It's, it's that interesting social contract, I think, which yeah. depends on like what you want to build in your group is okay, are we sitting down and we're just going to make a story or are we sitting down and we're making this particular story? And I think those two are very, very different ways to approach gaming. And that's where those different systems come in as well. And why PBTA is great if you go, we're making this story and this story will probably only have three or four different endings. The route we take to get there is different, but it has to end like this. Mm. Or along the way, there might be these two or three beats because that's, you know, we're in a Western, so this has to happen or we're in sci-fi, so this has to happen. And that's what PBTA is great for. It's making those like, those films and those it's episodes. The genre emulator. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised if over time, it seems like role-playing games are getting more popular in places like Hollywood. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if some of these games would be used to not to have the final script, but yeah. to develop actual script for movies yeah. and move forward. It's better than an algorithm, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a, yeah no, but you're, you're right. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a prompt generator and yeah. it's a, ja- a genre emulator. So you got the troops preset in them. Mm-hmm. And because you still have the influence of the people playing it, you can still take it in surprising yeah. ways. But back uh, on your work, yeah. So, yeah, uh, do you sorry, have plans working. of compiling? No, no, it's, yeah, uh, I yeah. think it's awesome. That's what this show is about. You yeah. just have random conversations with people. Uh, we were talking about uh, somewhat more famous people. Uh, one of the, my early episode was with Monty Cook and we ended up just talking and never plugging what he was supposed to Yeah, <laughs> to Monty Cook doesn't need to plug anything, does yeah, he? Yeah, but Come it on. was weird. That was one of the nice things at the beginning yeah. of my show. I received an email from Monty Cook Games saying, hey, would you like to interview Monty Cook? Yeah, well, and I was like, oh, yeah, sure, right. But even though, like, kind of young podcaster, not yeah. knowing of the industry that people need to plug themselves. So I did not offer one good opportunity to plug whatever. <laughs> and we just drifted in a conversation. I, I'm not even sure what product it was supposed yeah. to sell at the time. But Amazing. anyway, your pro- I, do you have yeah. plans of having a compiled books of all your one-shot RPGs or something like that? Or are you working on a long-form RPG or yeah. both? Maybe both. Currently, it's the second one more than the first one. So all my games are for free or pay what you want. I don't want to change that model for the, well, for the mini games. The pre-printed games, so. version, if Absolutely, you will. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. It's like so, when you buy those blocks of pre-printed character sheets, you, yeah, you pay yeah. for the print. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's something I could do. What I am working on is bigger systems. I've got a narrative horror sort of storytelling system, which is based on the Jatlov Pass incident, which I'm working on at the moment. On the what, sorry? The Jatlov Pass incident. It's, okay. a, yeah, it's a, a big thing in like sort of conspiracy theory circles, I guess, but essentially a group of hikers from the Euro Polytechnic University in the early 1950s went walking uh, across the mountains, including an area called the Jatlov Pass. They disappeared, and then a few weeks later, all their bodies were found across the mountain with various odd injuries and sort of things like radiation on their bodies and Whoa. Like, yeah and their tent had been ripped open from the inside so what i've tried to do is i don't want anyway want to try and go let's emulate people's deaths here so it's it's going here is what in, has inspired this game here are some tools to create characters which exist within it and players essentially jump in and play individual characters if they want to or the group as a whole and it's all done with cards. It's very loose. It's not heavy with mechanics. And it's all about 
playing cards which are either fiction cards which sit within certain parameters or fact cards which are actually i'm introducing a fact from what was found around the scene or what happened and by the end of it you create a narrative of these people going to a mountain and having an experience it's not like any of my one-page games, which is really nice. It's refreshing. You know, I don't think it's going to be... It's not a huge game. I mean, I've done all the art myself. It's going to be about sort of 30 pages by the end of it. It's going to have some nice examples in it. It's going to have some pre-made things. But the idea is that you can sit with three decks of cards and come away at the end of it having told a horror story without having had anything before you start, which I think is a good way to give people tools to play. I like anything where someone can start playing a game and no one knows what characters are involved what the setting really is or what the story is going to be and they can finish it by having told an entire story with fleshed out characters and relationships between those people being explored so that's what i'm trying to do did you set a, yourself a deadline or something like <laughs> uh, that are you planning to land with it at the expo next year or, uh, or here at dragon well Meet? a couple of months ago i said i want to get this done before the end of the year I haven't had a chance to play test the latest version of it, which is the, the real difficult part. It's just getting it to the table. You know, it's just having people who are dedicated around you as well. You know, I've, we've all got lives. We've all got things to do. So just finding play testers and going, I need to get you down and play this at the table. And it almost doesn't matter if we have fun doing it, but the aim is fun. But I just need to make sure this bit works or this section works. It's a real challenge, right? Have you chatted with the people from London RPG community? Because, I should talk to them. Because yeah. they, well, there's also, what's it called? Well, you're probably aware of them, UK Playtest. Yeah. But I think it's more board games, though. It's definitely a bit more board games, yeah. But London RPG community, yeah, they, we got a, a couple uh, just behind us. And yeah. Should, uh, yeah, have a chat to them. Okay, put them. Well, one last final thing to say about Dragon Meat this year, and where can people find you? I always like to talk about Dragon Meat with a bit of fondness. Though I, before I got, I got into publishing games this year and doing a whole thing, saying I you know, wrote Heartbreak, terrible, based off D&D sort of games before, which didn't work. I went to Dragon Meat last year, first convention I've ever been to in gaming. I went to the What's Hot in Indie RPGs panel, and I saw Lloyd Gann and uh, James Mullen and uh, Eunice Hung talking about indie RPGs, and I went, shit, I need to up my game. I need to, <laughs> I need to learn about this stuff. And that really inspired me. So coming back to Dragon Week this year, feeling like a designer, meeting people, having Amazing. met people from the industry and running my games is just a huge thing to me. So that's, yeah, that's a really big thing. So great to see, you know, it's, it's great coming back to Dragon Week because over years you make it's a very warm convention, so you make more and more connection. Absolutely, and, yeah. Uh, I was discussing with Jim Wallace, another game yeah. designer, very approachable, mm. how it's becoming difficult to walk through Dragon Meat yeah. because every two or three meters you stop by yeah. someone who's hugging you and say, oh, what are you up to? Uh, yeah. But it's amazing to hear stories of people who are inspired by though. I did my very first seminar about amazing. podcasting. And, uh, wow, it's amazing to think that maybe there, there was someone who will come back next year and say, Hey, I started my podcast. I mean, that would be definitely mind blown. Definitely. Yeah. You've changed someone's life today. That's what's, what's awesome about it by just having a platform to talk about it, which is great. Yeah. So great. awesome. But yeah. Uh, so everything you can find at Ursa Dice on Twitter, ursadice.com or patreon.com slash Ursa Dice 
or just search Ursidice on Drive Through RPG. That's U R S I D I C E. Ursidice. Like me, you've got a thing you need to spell out <laughs> so yeah, people yeah. know where to find it. Absolutely. Or as Lloyd Gang calls it, Eurisi Dice, which I'll never get through. <laughs> and for me, it's the Rollistis and yeah. D and DS are uh, silent. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really well, appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'm glad that we sorted out this situation of French game designers living in Ireland. Yes. <laughs> which you, you're neither of. Maybe I need to meet this guy, though. Yeah, maybe I can hook you up. Why did I end up with that construction in uh, my head? Is die, it, is this dice, that's all I can think of. Like, yeah. Why the island thing? That's so weird. Because the other guy is not in Ireland. No? Oh, yeah. I've been to Scotland recently, but I've, yeah, I don't live in Ireland. Well, so that, there's someone else. There's a, there's a trifecta of game designers. <laughs> solve that one day. This episode included... Lovecraft by The Vaselines Drums Over London by Disco Zombies The Community by The Gays and of course our theme song Solta o Frango by Bandedo Roll Our logo is designed by Ronin Kunz and you can get it on t-shirts, apparel, notebooks and a number of other stuff in our tea public store and there's a 30% sales at the moment Anyway, uh, yes, so like I assume most of you, I I hope, I think it's wise at the moment to, what is it called, engage in some social distancing or self-isolation? Yeah, that's what we've been doing here at home with Persephilia and my son, and uh, yeah, as part of this i'm running some games online so feel free to send me an email or contact me via twitter or any any mean if you would like to join this game i ran a session of cats of Cthulhu, a little adventure i created called the dot that wasn't red and now that it's set up on roll 20 it's quite easy for me to run it again and i would be very happy to run it again and again and again for listeners of the show so do send me a message i mean if, even if you're just feeling isolated one other thing i will be doing online if you speak french i will be running a panel in french for the online convention cyberconv and i must say i'm very very impressed by the quality and the amount of work i see the organizers doing in the, the background it's going to be very cool. It's going to be a lot of panels. It's going to be games to join and so on. So if you speak French, Cybercomp, I'll put a link in the description of the episode. You should definitely check it out. And that that's it. Uh, I'm not very inspired for long messages today. Sorry for the rather long last part, which was in large part me rambling with Ursidice, who is awesome. And it was the end of the convention. And so I sort of opened the gate of me wanted to just have a chat uh, with someone so yeah i should have him again on the show and interrupt him much less actually i'm considering doing some online cafe rollists in the next few days so keep an eye on that i might stream them live maybe and then put the audio in the patreon feed but the, the, the stream and the youtube should be available for free i don't know how it's gonna work uh I do hope you're safe and uh, all your family and loved ones are too. Don't hesitate to send me a message. I will be more than happy to chat with you via Discord or any other mean. And uh, yeah, uh, actually, sorry, uh, I remember things as they come. 
this April's London Ludwig Sendai's won't take place as such for obvious reasons, but I'm looking into right now replacing it with a online version. So for once, even if you're not in London, you could join us, you could have a chat. You can have your favorite beverage just next to you and chat with us from the comfort and safety of your own home. Next month, we will arrive at the final episode dedicated to London RPG community and the actual play in the Kentus Expense. See you then, and in the meantime, be safe and have good games. Nós é tipo bem Jesus, todo mundo a gente ama Ainda mais se for gatinha, rola até levar pra cama A gente topa tudo, sapatão e bigodudo Na hora do piriri, tá em mim outra vesti Vai batuque! Rolê, rolê, rolê Solta o frango e vem com a gente Rolê, rolê my wife went as Shira for May Comic Con, and my friends and I are all going as drag for the Dragon Prince for next Comic Con. Oh. I'm doing Viren, and I'm very. You're excited. gonna be such a good Viren! Oh my god! <laughs> it's gonna tell, be great. I will tell Miri that she's going to love it as well. Excellent. Okay. So, who's Aramis? Uh, no one's doing Aramis, I'm afraid. We do have the blue I painted I kind of want to join as an as Aramis. Do it. Okay. May May Comic Con. Just, May Comic Con. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you will melt. Is May hot here? Yes. May is quite hot, and I I used this blue paint to go as Cathris from a, the Actors Incorporated last year, and it just oh um it's difficult. Yeah. Aravos is very difficult to achieve, but we're going. At, my wife is going as Rayla. Um, my friend is going as the pirate. <gasps> yes, and uh, his wife is going as. Wait, which pirate? Not pirate. <laughs> two two eye patches, man. Yes. Yes. No. Captain Double Eye Patch with a parrot. That's very. The... Ow! That that was a while ago. I yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, Claudia, is the other one. Mm. It's gonna be great. Anyway, sorry, you wanted sorry. to record. It's fine. This was important to establish the connection. It's going to end up at the post-credit scene. That's going to be interesting. Yes.